Yeah, give it up for her. So good what God's doing around here. Hey, so we are in a series we're calling Modern Parenting, and uh, we're super excited about this because one of the things we've said we want to be all in right on is being more intentional about coming alongside parents and family ministries. One of the misconceptions I had as a kind of a younger parent was that when my kids turned, you know, 18 or 22 and moved out of the house that my job as a parent would be done and I could like wash my hands with them, right? And if you've been a parent of an adult, an adult child, you know that's not true. The, what's so, I think, challenging about parenting is that it never ends, you know? And so we're in a season right now where we're trying to learn how to you know, um, allow our kids to make decisions and be okay with those decisions and all that. It just never ends. It never goes away. And I was kind of naive, I think, in the early days of parenting, thinking that there was a finish line. And I think the finish line now is like my funeral. You know, I think that's kind of the finish line when I, when I get to quit being, you know, a good, a good parent. And uh, I just want to... Um, kind of segue on what Jess just mentioned because I'm so grateful now that all my kids are adults who love the church and who love Jesus Christ because of the community of believers that just pointed them to Jesus again and again and again while they were here. I mean, one of the things we knew real quickly was that, man, we were going to need it. It couldn't just be Jackie and I pointing our kids to Jesus, that we needed a community of people that were willing to do that. And, um, and our kids got that here. And I'm so, so grateful for that gift, you know, to my family. So there's a psalm that we're going to go to week in and week out here that really reminds us what our primary job is as parents. Because it's so easy, isn't it, in our culture to get it into our head that our job as parents is to get them through school and academics or help them play lots of sports or help them find a good job, you know, and all that. But um, this psalm really reminds us that our primary job as parents is way more important than even any of those things. And here's, here's what the psalmist said. He said, since my youth, O God, you've taught me, and to this day I declare your marvelous deeds, even when I'm old and gray. Don't forsake me, O God, until I declare your power to the next generation, your might to all who are to come. This just reminds us that our most important job as parents is to point our children to the sufficiency of Jesus again and again and again. And that's so freeing because it means that you and I don't have to have all the answers. We don't have to know everything. We just have to be able to point our children to the one who does. Now last week, uh, we'll do a little review. Last week we said that um, there are almost no good examples of family in the Bible. And this is probably surprising to some of you. In fact, when you begin to read the Bible, the thing you notice is that it's chock full of examples of family dysfunction. Like how not to do uh, family, right? And then we looked at the ministry of Jesus and we said that even though Jesus never talked about parenting, he did uh, give us the new commandment that's meant to be the foundation, not just for parenting, but for all relationships. And that Jesus always met people in what was real while also pointing them to an ideal. So what Jesus would do is he would raise the bar morally and then at the same time he would dial 
uh, the grace. But he would always meet families, meet people where they were in their dysfunction, in their need, in their hurt, in their brokenness. And then he would point them to something better and a better future for their lives. And we said last week, and this is difficult, this is discouraging for some of us, that the best gift we can give our children is a healthy marriage. We pointed out that in our culture there's been this tendency to kind of divorce parenting from marriage. And that's not a divorce that really works very well, right? And this is discouraging for some of us because that's not our reality. That seems out of reach for us, right? But we said good parents want what's best for their kids. They want things for their kids that maybe are even out of reach for them and that that's what we want to try to provide for our children so we, we want to meet families right where they are in the middle of of and listen every family has dysfunction right all of us do there's no such thing as a perfect parent or a perfect son or daughter all families have dysfunction but that's where jesus meets us he meets us right there in that and just how important that is right now again i told you a few moments ago that jesus never talked directly about parenting but he did lay the foundation again not just for parenting but for all relationships when he gave um, his new command and the new testament command that he gave is meant to replace all of the commands of the old covenant all those commands are meant to be wrapped up in this new one and it's meant to be at the center of what it means not just to be a good mom or dad but to be in a relationship with anybody and here's what he said this is in john 13 jesus said these words a new command i give you love one another as i have loved you so you must love one another now here's just another example of how jesus raised the bar because he didn't say hey i want you to love other people the way that you would want to be loved no he raised the bar considerably by saying i want you to love other people the way that i have loved you and then he said, and by this all men are going to know that you're my disciples if you love one, you know, another. Now, what the reason this, um, the reason this command is so important to parenting is because this command challenges us to put the needs of others above our own needs. And I'm going to argue all morning long that parenting goes south when we uh, parent to meet our own needs and not the needs of our children. Now, I also want to point out that John 13, is a com it's not a command to feel something. It's a command to do something. This is a command about behavior. Behavior. And here's why it's so important that we recognize this is a command about behavior. So here's our thesis for this morning. It was your parents' behavior, not their advice, that determined whether you wanted to be with them or like them. Say that again. It was your parents' behavior, not their advice, that determined whether you wanted to be with them 
or like them. And so this command challenges a tendency that can rise up even in the best parents. It's a temptation that all parents face, even good parents, um, to elevate the needs of our children over our needs. And we're going to talk a little bit later this morning about why this is so important. Now, some of you may not know this, but there are three kinds of love that um, are used or talked about in the language of the New Testament. Uh, the first kind is called eros love. This is a sensual love, a love that flows out of sex or a sexual relationship, right? So that's there. There's a second kind of love. It's called phileo, which is kind of brotherly love or an affectionate love. Think Philadelphia, right? The city of brotherly love. That comes right out of the language of the New Testament. But when Jesus issued this command in John 13, he didn't use either of these forms of love. He uses the word that best represents the way that God loves us. This is an unconditional love. This is a an all-in love. This is the highest and purest form of love. This is the love that every one of us in the room long for and that we look for. This is agape love. And there's a whole chapter in the Bible, sometimes it's called the love chapter, it's 1 Corinthians 13. If you've ever been to a wedding, you've probably heard it um, spoken or read at a wedding. But there's a whole chapter um, that one of the followers of Jesus penned uh, that really talks about what this new command love of Jesus looks like in everyday life. How it behaves every single day. And uh, here's what he said. The very first thing is he said, love is patient. And we're just going to focus on this one word because it has all kinds of implications for parenting. Now, the word patient literally means takes a long time to boil or slow to come to a boil. So what that tells us, right, is that patience doesn't suddenly blow up or wilt under pressure, that patience perseveres. It hangs in there. It doesn't give up ever. And patience in parenting is so vital, and I'll give you a couple of reasons why. Number one, patience reminds us, every one of us who are parents, that our children are still works in progress. They're not finished the cement in their little hearts is still wet. They're not finished. And in the same way, right, we would want people in our lives as adults to know that we're not finished products either, right? That God is still working in and working on us. But it's even more vital to understand that and to embrace that when it comes to our kids because there is a difference between childishness and foolishness. See, parents should discipline foolishness. But a parent should never discipline childishness. That requires instruction, right? And it just uh, requires teaching and encouragement, not discipline, because there's a difference, you know, between the two, right? So their work's in progress. In fact, um, Leonardo da Vinci, when he was doing The Last Supper and people were kind of um, miffed, you know, that he was taking so long, he said this, and I think this relates directly to parenting. He said these words. He said these words. There they are. 
It's when I pause and wait. See, I had to pause and wait there for a second, right? Uh, It's then that I make the most telling marks with my brush. Listen, if, if we grasp as parents that our kids are works in progress, and we grasp that the cement in their little hearts is still wet, uh, we can make such telling marks on their little hearts, right? Um, but only if we pause and if we wait and we reflect and we think on it. And this is one of the gifts, you know, that patience uh, brings because our children are literally are the canvases that we parents paint. And I'll tell you something else that a lot of you don't know. Your ch- the canvas of your child... The, your child, your child did not come to you with a blank canvas, did they? I mean, we marvel in our home because we had three kids, and our three kids couldn't have been more different from one another. Now, they were raised by the same two parents in the same home with the same values and, yet, and the same discipline structure and all that, and yet our kids couldn't be more different. And that is partially because we, they didn't come to us as a blank canvas, and neither do your children. But you get to paint, you get to work on the fine detail of your children, the brush marks, right? Bring out the colors. Um, And I'll tell you what else, why impatience is so deadly when it comes to parenting. Because impatience to our kids is going to feel like pressure to them. Impatience in parenting often expresses itself this way, by reminding our children of their weaknesses. Hey, listen, newsflash. Your kids don't need you to remind them of their weaknesses. Do you know why? Because the world will do that just fine without any help from you. What your children need is for you to accentuate their strengths, right? To, to encourage them in their strengths and help them develop their strengths because your kids, whether you ever tell them about a single weakness or not, they already know because the world challenges that, them with that every single day. Uh, but impatience will cause us to focus on, you know, the weaknesses of our children. Um, I'll tell you what else impatient parenting can do um, that's so toxic when it comes to parenting. It can cause us to compare our children either to their brothers or their sisters or their cousins or their friends. Hey, well, why can't you be more like your brother? Why can't you be more like your sister? She does this and you never do that. And he said that he never said that. And, you know, you said that. This is so toxic when it comes to, um, to parenting. Um, because our goal as parents should be to bring out the individual uniqueness and nurture the individual uniqueness of each of our children, right? And in fact, it's so funny because there's actually a command in the New Testament. It's a command that's not given to moms. I don't know why. It's actually given to dads. And here's what it says. Fathers, do not exasperate. Well, this version says, don't embitter your children or they'll, come, they'll become bitter and resentful. In other words, what he's saying is this. 
Dads, don't have sky-high expectations for your kids that they can't possibly meet. Don't expect too much from your children or they will wilt under the pressure of that. Don't remind your children um, of, all the, of all their failures and of all the ways that they have disappointed you. And I think a command like this just reminds us as parents the weight that our words have with our children listen the, the the words that you and i speak to our children bear more weight uh, listen uh, than than any other relationship and we have to be kind of aware of that as parents and sensitive to that right now i said earlier that the command in john 13 called us out when it comes to elevating the needs of our kids above our own needs and uh, we've all seen parents who, and the way I would articulate it this morning is parents who kind of parent for themselves, for their own reputation, for their own status, for their own, um, you know, perks, right? And so, for example, you go to a soccer game and there's a dad who's just freaking out, right? Because the athletic ability of his son or daughter on the soccer field reflects on his uh, athletic ability and so he's kind of trying to vicariously live and get needs met through uh, the achievement of his children maybe a mom will do that you know but we've all seen that um, and what Jesus tells us in John 13 is look don't parent to meet your own needs parent to meet the needs of your children and there's a vast difference between the two See, because some parents parent to validate themselves, not their children. And so for them, it looks like this. Well, my kid's behavior is a reflection on me. The accomplishments of my children become my accomplishments. They reflect on me. My kids' achievements become my achievements. When my kids make good grades, that reflects well on me. When they make bad grades, that reflects poorly on me. When my kids' reputations excel, so does mine. Listen, parents like this use their children to validate themselves. And this is the parent trap. This is the trap of parenting. This is a temptation for every single parent that's ever walked on the face of the planet, even good parents, right? And it's this, the temptation for our reputations regarding our children to become more important to us than our children themselves. I want to say this again. It is the temptation to allow the reputation associated with our children to become more important than our children themselves. And I'm just going to tell you outright, if this is your bent in parenting or you kind of take that bait or you've fallen into that trap from time to time, you're going to continually experience emotions like fear, anger, and insecurity where your children are concerned. And this is going to lead to behavior in your home that is destructive, not constructive, right? And here is why, and you know this. Uh, the arena of family bumps up against self-preservation self like, like no place else. 
so James, the half-brother of Jesus, uh, says that the source of our anger comes, and this is so fascinating, from the frustration of not getting our own way. Let's look at this verse together. I love this. This is James 4, verses 1 and 2. He asks a question. He says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from the desires that battle within you? In other words, you want something, but you don't get it. Now listen. Anytime there's conflict in, in a relationship, it could be a marriage relationship, it could be a friendship, it could be a parent-child relationship, they are fighting and they are arguing because neither one of the parties in that uh, disagreement are getting what they want. What James is telling us is that every one of us share in the same interest. And you know what that interest is? It's self-interest. And that human beings come out of the womb prepackaged, if you will, uh, to share in self-interest. And so when people don't get what they want, they're willing to uh, hurt others or call out others or argue with others. And it is so important in parenting to own your slice of the conflict pie. What I mean by that is this, to acknowledge, okay, I'm frustrated with my child, what am I wanting here, what am I expecting, to be aware of what it is that you want and what you expect. The next time you're in an argument with your wife it's so, or husband, it's so helpful to identify, okay, what was it I was hoping to get here that I'm not? What did I want that I'm not getting that I'm willing to fight with him about? or fight with her about. Listen, if you can identify, because here's what's so cool about this. If you just step back away from it, and you can just identify what it is you think you should have gotten that you didn't, you're owning your, your piece of the conflict pie from the sense that you're just saying, well, look, I'm just mad because I didn't blank. I'm just upset because uh, she whatever right acknowledging that and acknowledging that you're you're only in this argument because you're not getting something you want or that you expect or that you need because James tells us very clearly where arguments and quarrels come from they come from selfish desires they come from uh, not getting something we want need or expect uh, so, um, my point is this. See, here's the thing. Like, let's take anger in a home. Uh, our kids process our anger with two questions in two seasons of their life. When kids are young and they're little and, and we're angry, they process anger this way with this question. And the question they ask is, what's wrong with me? Like, what's wrong with me that you are so angry? What's wrong with me? But then as our kids get older, and maybe they hit about puberty, they ask a different question when they're faced with our anger. You know what it is? What's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? Like, this isn't as much about me as it is you. And I guarantee you that if your kids hit puberty and they're asking that question, what's wrong with you, they will not want to come back home when they're adults. They will not want a relationship with you. 
They will not. Now, I'm not saying that the only reason kids don't want relationships with their adult parents is because of anger. Do not hear that. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying that that can become one of the things that just gets in the way of enjoying relationships with our children when they leave the nest, when they leave the home. And this is why it's so important, and we'll talk more about this in week four, but it's so important that parents create um, a culture in their home where they can apologize to one another, where they can apologize to their children. So in other words, if you're here and your kid's 12 years old and you've never once issued an apology to your child, you want to rethink that. You want to rethink that because you're going to make lots of mistakes as a parent. And because marriage is one of the hardest things any of us will ever do, and then parenting is absolutely the hardest thing any of us will ever do, our kids need to see a healthy marriage, right? They need to see how it's done. Because one day they're going to grow up and marriage is going to be the hardest relationship they will try to do. And they need to be able to look back and see how that's done and what that looks like, right? Now, I love this because when we think about patience, I, I do want us to avoid uh, a, ten, a temptation. And that's a temptation to think that patience means that it's kind of passive, that I just, you know, as a parent, let my kids do whatever they want, and, um, but I'm patient. And that's not at all what the word patience means. And there's a wonderful verse that helps us get our arms around this. It's 1 Thessalonians 5.14. It's not a parenting passage per se, but it's so instructive. Here's what he says. We urge you, brothers, to warn those who are idle, to encourage the timid, to help the weak, and to be patient with everyone. In other words, to be patient with those who are idle, to be patient with those that are afraid, and to be patient with those that are weak. So I want you to notice here that patience is active, it's not passive. It doesn't overlook fault or sin. It doesn't excuse it or minimize it. In other words, patience warns people when they will not get a job. It warns people when they will not work, right? But um, it encourages people when they're afraid. It comes alongside people when they are weak. But it warns and encourages and helps them without getting all worked up, angry, and accusatory. Because patience discerns, it doesn't judge. Patience discerns. In other words, so if you're here this morning and you say, well, I have the gift of discernment. Do you know what that means? That means that you are able to discern what someone else needs in a given moment and you're able to give that to them. Uh, and I think that's incredible if you actually have that gift. See, patience discerns, it doesn't judge. And, and here's why this is so important in families. Have you ever noticed how quickly family members can push your buttons? The answer is yes, you have, right? You know how quickly they can push your buttons. So there was a farmer who had a brother 
who is just a constant complainer. And this brother's complaining just grated on this farmer's nerves, right? He's so sick and tired of hearing his brother's pessimism. So to impress his brother, he goes out and buys literally the world's greatest hunting dog. And so he invites his brother to go hunting with him. So he showed his brother how his dog could stand perfectly motionless for over an hour without a single movement. He showed his brother how his new dog could pick up a scent from over a mile away, but his brother seemed completely unimpressed. Well, when the farmer finally shot a duck from a blind, the duck fell right into the middle of the pond, and the farmer thought, now this is my chance. I'm going to put my brother in his place forever. I mean, this is a moment he'd been waiting for, right? So he commands the dog, and the dog trots out there, literally walks on the surface of the water, gently picks up the duck in his mouth, walks back across the surface of the water and gently places the duck at the feet of his brother. And so the farmer looks at his brother and he says, well, what do you think of that? And after an awkward silence, his brother said, you mean you paid all that money for that dog and he can't even swim? And now listen, the reason we laugh, right? Because that's the kind of thing families do. They push are buttons, even when they're not meaning to and intending to. Um, so uh, here's what I want to do. Years ago, a movie came out. It was a movie called Inside Out. And it's a movie about how people feel and process emotions and how our emotions can drive our behavior. And so in the movie, they limit it to four emotions or four voices that are kind of in everybody's head, right? And these four voices are fear, disgust, joy, and anger. And so... Uh, in, in this movie, there's a great clip where a family is around the dinner table. And I want you to kind of watch as we kind of get an inside look in the minds of each of these characters. And let's just see if you can relate as you're thinking about families pushing your buttons. So let's watch together. So, as it turns out, the green trash can is not recycling. It's for greens, like compost and eggshells. Mm. And the blue one is recycling. And the black one is... Riley is acting so weird. Why is she acting so weird? What do you expect? All the islands are down. Joy would know what to do. That's it. Until she gets back, we just do what Joy would do. Great idea. Anger, fear, disgust. How are we supposed to be happy? Hey, Riley, I've got good news. I found a junior hockey league right here in San Francisco. And get this, tryouts are tomorrow after school. What luck, right? Hockey. Uh-oh. What do we do? Guys, uh, this, uh, here, you, you pretend to be joined. Wouldn't it be great to be back out on the ice? Oh, yeah. That sounds fantastic. What was that? That wasn't anything like joy. Uh, because I'm not joy? Yeah, no kidding. Did you guys pick up on that? Uh-huh. Mm -hmm. Sure. Did. Something's wrong. Should we ask her? Let's probe, but keep it subtle so she doesn't notice. So, how was the first day of school? She's probing us. I'm done. You pretend to be Joy. What? Okay. Um, hmm. It was fine, I guess. I don't know. Oh, very smooth. That was just like Joy. Something is definitely going on. She's never acted like this before. What should we do? We're going to find out what's happening, but we'll need support. Signal the husband. 
looking at us. Uh, what did she say? What? Oh, oh, sorry, sir. No one was listening. Is it garbage night? Uh, we left the toilet seat up. What? What is it, woman? What? <sighs> He's making that stupid face again. I could strangle him right now. Signal him again. Ah, so, Riley, how was school? Oh, oh, please. Please. Are you kidding me? I'm... For this, we gave up that Brazilian helicopter pilot? Boo, I'll be joy. School was great, all right? Riley, is everything okay? <sighs> Sir, she just rolled her eyes at us. What is her deal? All right, make a show of force. I don't want to have to put the foot down. No, not the foot. Riley, I do not like this new attitude. Oh, I'll show you attitude. Oh. No, 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 no. Stay happy! What is your problem? Just leave me alone. Sir, reporting high levels of sass. Take it to DEFCON 2. You heard that, gentlemen? DEFCON 2. Listen, young lady, I don't know where this disrespectful attitude came from. You want a piece of this, Pops? Come and get it! Yeah, well, well... Here it comes. Prepare the foot. Keys to second position. Ready to launch on your command, sir. Just shut up! Fire! That's it. Go to your room. Now. Foot is down. The foot is down. Yeah. Good job, gentlemen. That could have been a disaster. Well, that was a disaster. Come, fly with me, Gachinha. Anybody relate to any part of that? I'm pretty sure that you did, right? Now, listen, how do we get where we want to be? Uh, it's so important that we... Uh, so here's what I don't want you to think. If you are thinking so far in this message, if you're like saying to yourself, you know what, Pastor, you're right. I just need to be a more patient parent. So I'm going to walk out those doors and I'm just going to try harder to be more patient. If that's what you think the tone of this message is, you have not been listening. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying you should walk out the door and try more to be, to be more patient. You know why? Because in about 15 minutes, you will break that promise to yourself with either your spouse, one of your kids, or somebody else, and you're going to walk away thinking, well, this Christianity thing must not be for me. This is not a message telling you that you need to be more patient as a parent. This is a message where I'm telling you that patience is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5.22 says, the fruit of the Holy Spirit is patience. And that means I only get patience as I'm in proximity to God. That God, who is all patient and all knowing, loans me his patience, shares his patience with me, patience with me so that I can be more patient with my children. And it is so hard, isn't it, to understand the patience of God in a culture that wants instant results and instant gratification. In a culture of what I would call impatience. I mean, isn't it true that even as adults, we can be like our children in the backseat of a car? I mean, what do your kids say when you're on a long trip with them? 
Yeah, are, you know, you've heard this. Are we there yet? Well, the reason our kids say that is because they operated from, um, from a limited perspective, right? That little teeny window in the backseat of the car doesn't allow children to see the road or envision the journey in the same way that a parent does because the parent has the road map. They have the GPS. They know the beginning of the journey from the end of the journey. They know where they're going and how much that will mean to their family when they get there. The parent knows what is ahead but the child only knows the trip from the back seat and a limited view here's the truth about impatience impatience comes from a limited view it always does it just comes from a limited view we can't see the end from the beginning like our heavenly father does in fact, many of you may not know this. God is called the Alpha and the Omega. That is the first letter of the Greek alphabet and the last letter, the beginning and the end. Now listen, when you not only hold both the beginning and the end, but you are the beginning and the end, you're not always in a hurry for immediate results. And when you created time, you don't need to rush around as if time were scarce. See, God knows the beginning from the end because He is the beginning and the end, and God always sees the whole picture. Here's the way the psalmist describes the patience of God. Here's what he says. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love abounding in love now listen and so this is why god is patient right and the great news of the gospel is that god shares his patience with us as we're in a relationship with him as we're trusting him as we're uh, living close to him as we are the vine that's drawing nourishment from him who is the branch as we abide with Him, as we press into Him, as we trust in Him every single day. And that is vastly different than the religion of trying harder. You go, well, how does God do that? How does God loan me His patience? Well, I'll tell you, through something called the spiritual disciplines. So we're talking about things like worship. This is one of the many, many reasons that we say church on a weekend is so important because you need a heart that's nurtured and trained by worship. Uh, you need, because it helps you be grateful. It helps you recognize how big and vast God is in a way that you will forget if you stay at home and do housework. Uh, so worship is a spiritual discipline. Community. Uh, being with other people, being in a small group, being in community with other people is absolutely vital. It is a profound spiritual discipline that will point you toward patience. Generosity is a spiritual discipline. Service is a spiritual discipline. Prayer is a spiritual discipline. Bible, being in God's Word every single day, 
having a mind that is renewed by the transforming power of God's Word every day is so vital. And so as you engage in these spiritual disciplines, it's not that you're necessarily thinking every day, I'm going to be more patient, I'm going to be more patient. It's just that if you do those things for enough days in a row, you wake up one morning and you suddenly realize Where did all this patience come from? Well, it came from God because you've been living close to Him. And so here's what I'm going to tell you as a parent. Aside from a healthy marriage, last week we said the best gift you can give your child is a healthy marriage. The second best gift, and this is within all of our reach, the second best gift that you can give your child is a pressed-in relationship with your heavenly Father. Because you will parent differently when you're parenting out of God's grace than you will your impatience and frustration. Listen, I'm just going to tell you, confessions of a pastor. You ready? Uh, When I'm not walking with God, when I'm not engaged in these disciplines that I just talk to you about regularly, when I get kind of spiritual ADD and, you know, don't do the disciplines, uh, here's what starts to happen in me just between my ears. Number one, I get super critical of people. I get annoyed by people real easy. Like, and I say things like this to myself. Well, why are they coming to me? Everybody thinks I can fix all the world's problems. Well, you know, like I just kind of complain. The spirit of complaint rises up. And I'll tell you something. I don't like me when I'm not walking with God. I don't. And guess what else I know? You wouldn't like me either. You wouldn't. Because I become all judgmental and angry and frustrated and upset but as I engage in the disciplines it isn't that God just rescues me from my sin he rescues me from myself and he'll rescue you from yourself too do you know why because when you parent like yourself you're not parenting in the way that's best for your children And they need better and they deserve better. They deserve a parent, not who's perfect, but who's engaged with God every single day. So in a moment, so I'm going to just pray for all of us because we've we've kind of admitted two things together, right? That, that, um, you know, being in a marriage is one of the hardest things we'll ever do and that parenting children is absolutely the most difficult thing we'll ever do. So I just want to pray for us because this is tough stuff that we're going out to do together. It's not for the faint of heart. It's not for sissies, right? It's not for weaklings. So we're going to need all the grace and the mercy that God has to give us. So let me pray for you. And then Mike and the team are going to come up and they're going to let you know how we're going to respond to God from here. Heavenly Father, I just pray for every parent in the room, whether they're a single parent, a foster parent, a grandparent, um, you know, regardless of what kind of influence they have on the next generation. God, I pray that you would share your grace, your mercy, your patience with us. God, help us to give up on the religion of self that would say, I've just got to try harder to be more patient. God, you, you tell us that that way fails every single time. 
So God, we come to you confessing our need for you, our need for your patience, our need for your grace and your mercy. And God, we know that you come near as we confess those things. So we give you thanks. I also, uh, God, just pray um, for uh, the marriages of our church. And I just pray that you would um, help us be healthy and uh, that you give us empathy and grace and mercy for one another as husbands and as wives. And I just ask all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen.